For our uh, preaching and teaching time this morning, we're going to start in Deuteronomy. If you want to turn in, in a Bible, there's Bibles underneath the seats in front of you. You can turn in, in the Bible to Deuteronomy. This is on page 130, if you're in the Bibles that are underneath the pews or the seat racks this morning. Unless, of course, you're at home, in which case there are probably no racks underneath your seats anywhere. You remember how uh, last week we talked of soup and money? Uh, in fact, by the way, did those of you who are online actually see the soup drip down my arm when I held up Robin's soup last week? There was no one here in person who actually saw it, just some of you online. So in this case, being online was actually more realistic than being here because I guarantee you the soup did run down my arm. I had a hard time just not kind of taking down my sleeve and licking it because it's so delicious, as I described last week. And anyway, I think I'm digressing. The point of soup and money last week was that some theological ideas, some biblical ideas are actually more important than, than others. Soup is soup. Money is money in one sense. But not all soup is as tasty as Robin's chicken and rice soup. Uh a $20 bill is not the same thing as a $10 bill. And the same thing goes for theological ideas. A $20 bill is, is money. A $10 bill is money. But whether or not, for example, we have the Lord's Supper every Sunday is not the same theological value as something like the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And this series of starting here is really making the claim that there are some things that are incredibly foundational that we would look at some things and say, these are actually the things that can preserve our lives, that can bless us in ways that we can't imagine. And and actually, we're not the first ones, by the way, to think in these terms. It was actually a Jewish practice to do exactly the same thing. And we're going to see in just a moment what they were doing with this. If you read the Gospels much or know very much about Jewish history, Some of this is going to be so familiar to you. But what the Jews did was that during times of prayer, they often tied to their arms or their forehead, this is their arm, their forehead, little leather boxes known as phylacteries. And and you might have seen this. Like if you, there are some photographs, in fact, you could get online and see this. There are photographs all the time of of Orthodox Jews taking, uh, they'll have a, a leather strap, And in the middle of the leather strap, there's a little leather box. And inside that leather box are some scriptures. And they'll actually wrap that around their head or they'll tie it to their arm, especially at times of prayer. And the scripture that most often is found inside these phylacteries is Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. So I want you to look at the Bibles. If you got your Bibles open, uh, again, I think it was page 130, uh, if you're looking at the ones here inside the, the auditorium. And I just want to read with you Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9. And when we get to the end of this, notice what it says about tying these to your, on your, uh, on your body, actually, in different places. Okay? So it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and when you walk along the road, when you lie down and when you get up. 
And then watch this. Tie them as symbols on your hands and bind them on your foreheads. Write them on the door frames of your houses and on your gates. And they actually did that too. They would take another box and they would actually attach it to their door frames. And inside that door frame or or inside that box that's on the door frame, there were scriptures. And specifically, this scripture that we just read. Now, all of that, especially the scripture that we just read, should sound pretty familiar to us. And that's because Jesus, being Jewish, valued these words. These words had come from God. Just before Israel crossed the Jordan River into the promised land where Moses was not permitted to go, Moses summed up for them the Jewish law. And he stated again in Deuteronomy chapter 5, the Ten Commandments. You know, the ones about there's one God, um, honor his name, don't take it in vain, honor your mother and father, keep the Sabbath, those Ten Commandments. They were important. But then in chapter 6, Moses gave them this core command which we just read, and that actually became, I think, even more central for Israel. In fact, I would say that this actually, to some extent, becomes more important than the Ten Commandments, which I have to admit for me is even a surprise. It it kind of shocks me. Is this possible that something could be more important to a Jew than the Ten Commandments? But it would seem as though it was. They took the phylacteries, and in them they put Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, because it was so important to them. But this became known, this portion from Deuteronomy chapter 6, as the Shema. And it is so central and so important that Jesus actually quotes this in Matthew 22, verses 37 and following, when a scribe comes and asks him, Teacher, what is the greatest command? And Jesus turns to Deuteronomy. Well, he doesn't turn. He just quotes Deuteronomy chapter 6. And so here's what it says in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 through 40. It says, hearing that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, the Pharisees got together, and one of them, an expert in the law, tested him with this question. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? And Jesus replied, and we know this so well, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first, he says, and greatest commandment. And then, of course, there's a second that is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he says, all the law and the prophets hang on these two commands. Isn't it interesting that when the scribe asks that question of Jesus that he didn't answer by quoting one of the Ten Commandments. The Ten are important, no doubt about it. But they are not actually as important, it would seem. It's like two soups that are being measured. They're both soup, but they're not the same thing. And here it would seem as though the Jews, and in fact Jesus himself, makes a choice and says, these two are more important And so what Jesus does, instead of asserting as the greatest commandment something about ethics or religious ritual or family relationships, is that he tells them 
to treasure first an attitude of the heart. An attitude of total love for God. And so loving God is for Jesus the essence of religious devotion. Loving God is the essence of life. Loving relationship with our creator and Lord is what Jesus says matters more more than anything else. If your heart is the very core of your life, and I think we would say that, then following Jesus' command is putting the love of the Lord right at the core and central place of our lives. And the fact is, brothers and sisters, that nothing else will do. Again, it's interesting that this is what devout Jews tied to themselves during worship and prayer. And so just like Jesus, as a part of the very fabric of what it meant to be Jewish and devoted to Yahweh, is this command to have an attitude so that it's so much more than a command. It's an attitude of the heart to love God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew twenty-two forty again, the law and the prophets all hang on these two commands. We always think that to be Jewish meant to follow the commands, namely the Ten Commandments. That's just how we think of it. But this is simply not the way the Jews went about their religious business. The Shema was actually what was most central. Loving God was their primary principle of religious devotion. And now Jesus, a Jew by birth, follows this up by asserting the exact same thing. It's no wonder that the early Christian father, Augustine, said, you know, all we really need to do is to love God, and then you can do whatever you want. Why is that? How can he say that? How can you say, just love God, and then do whatever you want? Isn't it because the moment we truly love God, everything else falls into place? That becomes the dominant feature of our lives. And so any choice we make, any decision you make, is going to be governed first by your love for God. When you're loving with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind, everything else, in fact, becomes, in some sense, easy. And it doesn't mean that we don't have struggles in life, of course, but all of those struggles, all those challenges will be viewed specifically with this in mind, my love for God and his love for me, and the relationship that we have. Isn't it true that when you're really struggling with something in life, and you guys know this so well, anybody who's, who's in here who's struggled with anything, we all know that when we struggle with something, the one thing that carries us through more than anything else is the relationships that we have. That's it. Normally, we would think in terms of the people who are in our lives, who are blessings to us. That's what more than anything else carries us through, relationship, others who care for us. And so when we find ourselves at the darkest moments, and it seems like there's no one else there, and all of us at times have felt that kind of loneliness, he's there. He is there. There. And he loves us. 
and he wants us to love him. So just a a couple more things I want to say here, and then I'm, I'm finished. First, I want you to see that both the Shema in Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Jesus in Matthew 22, verse 37, uses the word all three times. All. Clearly, what you are, your essence, yourself, all of you, is to love God. It is a total commitment. It is putting him above everything else. There is simply no room for holding back a portion of the self and not giving it to the Lord. You can't hold back, for example, your pride for your own use. You can't hold back your own selfishness for your own use. You can't refuse to give up your your belongings or your material things for your own use because all means all. And God tells us this. Jesus says this to us because he knows that this is the only way that a human life can actually function fully and be all that God intended it to be when we are all giving all in this loving relationship. And so are there things that hold you back from being offered completely to God? Well, there shouldn't be. Not when we choose to love him with all of our essence. And notice again, this is not just command keeping. What we're talking about here is relational connection between ourselves and the Lord Almighty. You know, Robin and Megan and my boys and my grandchildren, they want me and they need me to love them with the fullness of my heart as part of the relationship we share, not because of any kind of legislated obligation. Like, I don't want my boys thinking to themselves, I need to honor my father because that's what the Bible says. What I want them to say is, I love dad. The relationship that we have with him carries us through sometimes. It's been such a blessing in our lives. We just love dad. And so we're going to honor dad because we love him. That's what I want. And that's what God wants from us. Second, we're not just to love, but to love specifically Yahweh, the Lord, who is God. You know, we often hear today comments about the value of love. In fact, Jesus is no doubt the most quoted philosopher, religious teacher, figure who talks about love. People turn and talk about Jesus as being this one who loved The very essence of God is shown by Jesus embodied on the cross when he loves. And Jesus didn't say that love is actually the greatest commandment. He doesn't. What Jesus says is that loving God, the Lord our God, is the greatest commandment. And that means to love the God of the Jews, to love Yahweh. The love for God, which Jesus talked about, is a very specific, very exclusivistic kind of love. It's love reserved for one. This love is not fired at the world like a shotgun blast. So that bits of love spread out everywhere. So that love itself becomes the greatest command. Love is more like a laser beam. 
directed right back toward the one who loves us first and most. And so the one who loves us first is the I am, the Yahweh, the God of Israel, who sent Moses down to Egypt to free his people. He's the one who stood alongside the adulterous, murderous David and loved him anyway. And so if you're here today and you're thinking, can God possibly love me with all of this love? Absolutely he can if he loved David after his life. He's the one who sent Jesus into the world and said, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And when Jesus dies, his father, whom we love, is the one who raised him from the dead. And so we're not just loving love. We're to love the God who's really there and his son through the spirit so that we can only fulfill and be fulfilled this greatest commandment when we direct our love to the Trinitarian God of the Jews, to Jesus, who is the God, and and really the, the Lord of the church of Jesus Christ. Thirdly, it will not do for us to just know the command. Speaking about what is most important in our devotion to God is not as important as doing it. And so love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And Jesus could have said, with all of your action, with every deed. Because we need to do this, to live by it, to meditate on it, to dream about it, to let it drive us. To let it control every choice and every decision. To let it guide us during times of temptation. To let it guide us during times of joy and devotion. To let it drive us during those challenging times when we simply cannot tell what the future will bring. Love of Yahweh is the governing principle in our faith. Here we have no option but to actually follow what Jesus says and to do it. Not just to give it our mental assent and say, yes, I love the Lord. But to love him. That's what he wants. Because he loves us so much, he wants us to love him back. Some of us were talking this week about the mission of the church, about ministry, about ministry priorities, about where the church should spend its efforts and its money. You can imagine church leaders talk about these kind of things all the time. We certainly do. Our elders and staff, we're constantly thinking about how we can do this whole church thing better. We pray about it, we work at it, we give ourselves to it. But there is one thing that will always stop us and which no amount of planning and strategizing and organizing and projecting can overcome. There's one thing that will always stand in the way of our success as a church, always. And that's when we simply choose not to love the Lord our God with all our hearts. This is, in fact, the single determiner of the success of the church to help bring the impact of the kingdom of God into the world. And so these are challenging times for humankind. The world needs Jesus. We need Jesus. We need the influence of the Spirit. And if the church fails to love God with all of our hearts, we can't possibly bring to the world what we and they need most, the presence and the impact of God. And so every Christian needs to ask this question. And certainly every person online, every person here this morning, 
if, if nothing else, if you haven't even paid attention up until now, this is a question we need to ask. Do I love God with all my heart? And how will this love for the Lord carry me through the most difficult times, certainly these COVID times, enabling me to bring the influence of the kingdom of God into our world because I loved God with my whole life. Jesus Christ loved us with his whole life. Is that how we love him in return? Oh man, I pray we do. Let's pray. Holy Father, we thank you and praise you that that Jesus reiterated this wonderful truth that what you want from us more than anything else is for us to love you. Help us love you. Help us set things aside, get them out of our lives, move them aside. Hurdle the barriers, break them down. Whatever you need to do, God, in order to help us to love you with all of our lives, all of our hearts. I pray this through Jesus. Amen.